promised seattle overload live to you again and only 22 minutes late apologies well, you, you know it's building i mean american events never start on time and i felt we were building anticipation that's we'll true if talking. this was a kanye west concert we wouldn't have even started for the next like hour and a half or something so and then we'd have come down uh like as you know almost like a biblical figure uh, mm. with a spot lamp on us uh, from the heavens. Mm. Very impressive stuff. Yes. Yes. Instead, Geno Smith will be descending from the heavens this Monday night to defeat the Denver Broncos on Monday Night Football. Or, or ascending ESPN. to the heavens. Mm. Not too true. Transcending. But before we do the Broncos... He'll be preview, passing between and through planes different planes mm-hmm. of existence mm-hmm. yeah the, the, the divide the sea but before mm-hmm. we do the broncos preview and we're already dealing with our today very professional uh we have exciting news as a podcast and that is that the seattle overload podcast has signed a multi-year or as you guys would say multi-year deal with odyssey which is exciting because they're going to help us get ads. So for you guys, it probably means you'll just hear more ads. Uh, we'll also be three times a week uh, in season. So that's cool. And that will mean we'll do instant reaction. We'll do little press conference stuff and then tape stuff, X's and O's, all that goodness, what you like us for, I think. But yeah, it's a proper company. They're great people. They're going to help us be a bit more professional and better. And it wouldn't have happened without your support and your listenership and all of that good stuff. And already we have Camden saying, what's up? And, well, she said, yo. And we have Wolfpack 10, 100 saying, congrats. So thank you very much. We're really excited about it. And, yeah, just to echo, wouldn't happen without you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank we're you. really looking forward thank to it. Thank you all. Mm-hmm. We will... Uh, do our best so that you all see return on investment here. Mm-hmm. We want to make our stockholders happy. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Please join us at the uh, first of every month for our uh, monthly shareholder meeting. Um, we will not be accepting any ideas at this point, though. Thank you right. for your understanding. And I'm going to do my best to block out the sun here. Mm. Ooh. Um, Already transitioning to professional podcasting. So I'm, I'm like yeah. um, multitasking throughout the whole thing. Eventually, the sun will go down. Um, and then won't be a problem. But until then. And then it will come up again. Beautiful. Absolutely lovely. Right. Mm-hmm. So well, there actually, was this the sun article. is fixed in space. Um, well, the galaxy's moving, right? Oh, shoot. I don't remember my... 
astronomy 101 class the sun is fixed in the galaxy but the galaxy is moving so technically the sun's moving too but relative the, we're the sun moving. rises the sun in the west and, and then mm -hmm. sets in the east is that correct yeah nailed it and z is a vowel okay <coughs> um i know that camden wanted to know if the broncos have a fullback they do his name is andrew beck <laughs> interesting Okay. How they use the fullback? Before the Broncos, though, there was an article written by Brady Henderson of ESPN, and it caused a stir. It came out today. It was sort of detailing the Russell Wilson Seahawks breakup. I'm not actually sure personally how much new information there was necessarily. I think it was just more detail, and my main takeaway was, wow, this is like... Uh, you know, uh, any human relationship really where things have gone south either side. I think sort of what we said where that, you know, both, both parties have sort of pushed each other away and over time grown apart. Like very sad. Mum and dad have broken up, that sort of thing. But, uh, well, firstly, do you agree with that? And then secondly, was there anything that stood out to you as being interesting other than the fact that certain parts appear to be written by Mark Rogers. I mean, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, it, I agree that nothing felt new. And at first, my initial reaction was, well, the timing feels weird that this was written. But then I thought, well, no, it doesn't. They're, they're, they're not covered. Brady Henderson isn't covering the, the breakup so much as he's covering Monday Night Football. So it makes sense that ESPN would, would dip their hand into this story, which has been dipped into by like three other outlets, prominent ones. Um, but I think I'm, you know, Brady Henderson does his homework. So the fact that, you know, we know that he made the rounds with people that he thought were important to the story and that he came away with essentially the same conclusions as everyone else, you know, give or take a detail or two, right? It probably hammers home that this is the story and these are the perspectives from both sides of the team that there's there's not a lot being left out. Um, now, maybe there is as far as what led to certain like positions that each side took, you know, like how you how you get from A to Z, maybe. Um, but all in all, yeah, I, I I would summarize it the same way you would, Maddie. I don't think a lot of the the um, rift was over the what so much as as in like what does Russ have versus what is he wanting? I feel like, I mean, the, my honest, the best honest assessment I can come up with is that by the end, or I saw lots of effort by the team to kind of, I don't know if placate is the right word, but meet the demands or do what, you know, to kind of word it more friendly to Russ to do the things that a team needs to do to show that they're really trying to win. I felt like they did that. So, and I would, I assume Russ is a rational actor and that I don't think it's, I think it's hard to disagree with that. They did do those things. So that leads me to believe that the, the, the relationship broke down, not over where they ended, but kind of how they got there. Um, and once the, the, and the yeah, nature, once, once the like, seed's been planted, you know, like in it's, the mind it, it's, of, of the, in the mind, it's sort of like while the Seahawks were listening in couples counseling, it's like Russ was sort of like, well, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, moving towards being off this, you know, and they sort it's, of got there eventually. But the MVP fixation thing, that seems to bother him. And I guess why not try a new place to try it? If you think you're that guy who can go and do that and 
the Seahawks are trying to do things to help you, but ultimately they're coming from a slightly different spot. You also know how they think in, in different ways uh, about things. And you, I, you know who they are ultimately. Like you can't change right. that much. And by the way, go, sorry, go ahead, Ty. Sorry. Uh, just real quick, like on the MVP fixation thing, that part rubbed me the wrong way. And I, and I would assume rubbed the, the Seahawks the wrong way as well, specifically when it comes to that Atlanta game. Uh, that that Brady talked that Brady wrote about in his article. Um, you know, remember they got off to a twenty-four to nothing start, and then Brady talks about you know he only threw five passes in the second half, and he was pissed off at Pete because you know for not being more aggressive. But basically, he was more pissed off because he wanted to take grab reins of the MVP race with Lamar Jackson on a bye week instead of. You know the the reason for the reasoning for him being pissed, not being the fact that you know they gave up twenty unanswered to Matt Schaub and the Falcons, and they only won that game by seven. Like his priority, his priorities are messed up at that point. Like he's not worried about like how that impacted the team in that moment, not being aggressive, how it impacted him and his and his yeah. hopes for the MVP. Like that part, like now. To be fair, now I agree. Now I agree that that was where his heart is actually at mm. with it. Now I don't think I don't disbelieve that he wants to win either, mm. but I think that part of it, elements of that, was probably sourced from the not rest camp about the, the sure. MVP part. Like he probably Brady. Well, probably yeah. What does if that, that came from the rust camp? What does that you know paint him in a slightly I, bad light? So why if, would if, they? Uh, True. If I had if I had to guess, Brady probably extracted that Russ had contention over the Atlanta game and then goes and cross-references it with someone from Seattle's side, mm. which isn't necessarily Pete or Schneider. A lot of a lot of times they have to go in the back door with some lower level assistant, right? And then that could be them. Well, Russ really wants to win MVP because because publicly Russ has always said, which we all know isn't true. And I'm not faulting him for taking that position either necessarily. But publicly, he's always said, oh, I don't care about the MVP. Like, yes, you do. Like, you've publicly yeah. said that, you you know, legacy is important to you. You want to break away. You he wants to be the Derek Jeter. He wants to be the Tom win Brady. Win he's said that multiple. Yeah, he said that time and time it's and time. It's the inauthentic yeah. nature of his of some of his stuff that is uh, is uh, understandably grinding for people, and including myself, actually. Uh, um, the other thing with this as well is, like, what is what's, like, the... You know what? What's Russell's camp trying to get at this? They're not. They're not trying to sway the opinion or or boost the PR of Russell to Seahawks fans, right? This is for like a national audience. Where if you look at like a lot of the comments and reactions to this, it's kind of buying into the you know meme Pete Carroll. Um, you know, aren't the Seahawks stupid for trading Russell? Uh, I think he does pretty well out of the article. Not that Brady wasn't uh, fair and balanced and, um, you know, multi-sourced and all of that good stuff. He's obviously very one of the best at, you know, this sort of stuff. But, um, you know, the, I still think the national perception is of, you know, the Silks being silly and they didn't have to trade him and, and that sort of thing. And people fixating on the, the Drew Lock, ha, ha, ha. That was Schneider's quarterback. So, well, that's a you know 
that's an unfortunate sentence on its own. But if you think about the context here, like Russell wanted to go to these teams. Yeah. And look, the only one with a quarterback who was fairly interesting was Denver with Duloc. And sure, you can talk yourself into the toolsy aspects of his game, but they they weren't, but they were, and yes, you pump him up in the press to try and get him to compete at his best after his confidence has been damaged. He's been mm-hmm. beat down a bit as an early player. And yes, there's still some stuff there with Locke, even though I think we probably know he's never going to be it. But, and and like, by the on. way, like real quick with the Locke stuff too, like there's a lot of context that's taken out from some of the screenshots that we're seeing being posted of that paragraph um, on Twitter, you know, because like you look at the paragraph before that and the paragraph even before that one, you know, it, it explains like, okay, the commander's called. The Giants called, but we don't really know what their level of interest was or or rather what Russ's level of interest was and what the teams were willing to actually give up. And then the Saints were basically just being kind of led on to drive up the price from Denver. That didn't seem like that was actually a real possibility there. And I mean, even even then, taking those four teams into account, um let's just talk about the the quarterbacks that were on those respective rosters the day that russ was traded daniel jones taylor heineke Taysom hill drew lock ian book brett rippon jake from davis webb there's no one there that i'm like i i don't really think that it was about like oh we have to trade with the broncos because i want drew lock or like there's like this narrative suddenly being created that the the Seahawks basically gave up getting more just so they could get Drew Locke. And that's not at all the case here. I think it was just of the group of quarterbacks that they had at at their disposal here that they could have potentially landed, you know, Taylor Heineke or or Daniel Jones really being the only other ones that would be under consideration here. They preferred Locke, right? And they saw a a likelier path to landing lock than than with jones or, or heineke and also on top of that the giants were the only team out of these four that had a higher um that had higher picks in 2022 than than the broncos did so yeah that's another thing to keep in mind here and it's also like did russ even want to go to new york did he actually well he he, he definitely did at one point yeah um, he did at one point right. but did he still want to did he still want to play for you know does he want to play for brian dable you know that's the whole yeah. Yeah. rabbit hole that we can go down but yeah well, yeah ultimately it should go without saying that drew lock was the single most inconsequential aspect of this trade and and not to straw man i think that people bring it up just because drew lock is a meme at this point and you know people are just going to dwell on that stuff um but yeah it's uh drew lock was not hinged you know, he was not, he might as well have not existed here. Like, come on. Um, yeah, I think ultimately it was, it wasn't about the what so much as how they got there. And that process of how they got from A to Z is probably what led to interpersonal relationships fracturing and then the games of telephone, uh, f- you know, further driving the wedge. And at a certain point, it was just, um, you know, it was just, uh, beyond saving now that said the person that was the most invested in trying to keep it all together was Pete carroll that's what all the articles have said he came out of this kind of great because it was like pete was constantly like he he came out of this as 
he came out, he came out of this as someone that greatly values the quarterback position, in fact. And I and you know how Griff, you said not much more has come out and we probably won't get the the finer details of this. Like the real we're not gonna hear an audio recording of the day it went down and, and the discussions. Unfortunately, this ain't um like all access stuff. But I the point in which Pete was like, ah, let's let's go do it, that would be really interesting. And in my opinion, uh, my I I reckon it's probably like just talking with Russ and Russ has been like, hey, you know what? Yeah, it came close. Um, the you know twenty twenty one off season twenty twenty two. He's probably just like Pete, please. I like, I think we can just and Pete probably broke broke his heart, but also, you know, let yeah. your guys go. Like <laughs> I think yeah. Pete. Um, yeah, I think it was like an agreeable thing towards the end, even if it got messy in the media. And the PR sort of spin, which yeah. inevitably happens. The, and and the, don't get me wrong, like the Seahawks, you know, they they went kind of all in on Russ uh, in their statements, like unusually so for a team, like yeah. saying that he wanted it, basically, you know. And uh, the one thing I'm always going to be, me personally, I'm going to be extremely rigid about is that, I mean, first of all, the word philosophy can mean anything, right? Um, but ultimately, I, I will never... I'll never agree to the idea that this was over philosophical differences because that presumes that Pete's philosophy can't accommodate Russ's wishes. And like, I mean, we're just talking like football here, like not kind of like the economics of roster building and stuff, which even there, there's an argument to be made in both directions, I think. But like, there's nothing that Russ wants that Pete is opposed to um, football wise. So, I don't know. I'll just leave it at that. Well, um, leave it at that, Griff, because now we get to actually talk about how you would defend Russell Wilson. We can finally yeah. beat the guy rather than <laughs> being frustrated by his weaknesses and uh, admiring his strengths. We can now be excited by his weaknesses and afraid of his strengths, which is so weird. Yeah. And I'm kind of glad this is all week one where we can just get it out of the way with. And um, right. Yeah. Right. So um, how much of a Russell Wilson offense is this, Griffin, in week one of the NFL season? Just parsing from what we've got from Denver folks, they've there's been a lot of like like quotes and stuff. The offensive linemen have said it's all you know, it's all about the outside zone, establishing the run, which is something an off offensive lineman will say, no matter how much you do. But and then they've said that, you know, play action is really important, and they've said the deep ball is really important. Cortland Sutton or some of the receivers receivers have said how we have the initial play. Then we also have the second play, the scramble drill. And then we've also seen in the Denver preseason, they're gun running a little bit. So that means it's like a gun inside zone. Like that element exists. And like we've talked about for the Seahawks, that is the single biggest marker of what your overarching kind of structure flows from. Of course, it doesn't tip precise plays but it, it, there's a lot there now granted green bay did gun run but that was just so that they could rpo really so, yeah or, so it's for different reasons than russ would would gun run or hack it would so all those things considered i think for the most part and it's that's that's been a, a point of debate for the most part this is this is going to be the russell wilson offense as we've come to know it in terms of on paper right so from there the the i mean We'll we'll dive right in, and Matt, if you want to follow up there, you can. But I feel like the single biggest thing, as far as Broncos offense versus Seahawks defense, the single biggest consideration 
is going to be the Broncos trying to get Cortland Sutton into one-on-one coverage and Seattle trying to prevent that from happening pre and post snap. And the entire game plan will flow from that principle in under center and in gun. Um, It will all be based around that element and everything else will be counters, counters to the counters, establishing tendency, breaking tendency, all trying to manipulate the box numbers and the coverage shell and the techniques and et cetera, et cetera, to get Cortland Sutton one-on-one because that ultimately is what will make or break the game. I think um, at least with, you know, considering like base structure and stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. It sounds like Sutton is the, well, he's the guy I picked up in fantasy football, like a, like, Which is I a good know, pick. like a soulless, you know, mor- moralless, you know, com- moral compass lacking person. Uh, no, but so, yeah, he seems like Russ's guy. It seems like they've established a, a connection. And uh, I, I, I think to add to that, Griff, I think the one difference we see with, well, potential difference is perhaps more uh empty formation usage but then you can only do so much of that and uh john carry in the in the comments goes uh griff talk about min maxing and you can only min max so often like it's good you've got some min maxing fans here (laughs) but um i think they do try to do a bit more empty and i do think perhaps maybe they start the game going up tempo and that can be a very quick three and out as well as it can be a very quick you know touchdown drive but um i don't know i I think there's a bit of that sort of flavor a bit more of that accent being obvious but yeah it is really about Sutton one-on-one judy is sort of a complimentary piece to that albert O at tight end interesting but i don't know if we can trust russ to hit tight end as much as there's Mm -hmm. been hype out of camp as much as he seems to be like a ridiculously talented um high ceiling tight end and we so, should uh, quickly mention uh some of the guys that are going to be missing in this game mm. uh greg dulcich uh one of the top tight ends uh, from this past draft he's on the ir tim patrick of course uh, i believe was that an achilles acl yeah, something he's out for the year so that's a pretty big blow i, I believe that he and russ were uh, connecting pretty early on as well so um that's a big blow but of course you know they still have kj hamler uh and uh you know judy and, and sutton uh secondly <clears throat> we um we have a seahawks depth chart Mm. Who knows how much stock to put it to actually put in that. But I think this is kind of relevant to the conversation that we're having right now. <clears throat> they have Mike Jackson and uh, Tariq Willen listed as the uh, two starters. So yeah. how do you feel about those guys going up against this receiving core? Well, that feels unnecessary to do as well, doesn't it? Like, because that depth chart is very uh, wrong. Like it has Collier mm. still on it. And, um, you know, it, it it's uh it's got Jake Curhan starting at right tackle rather than right. what we presume will be Abraham Lucas. But to outright put Jackson and Woolen on there, it seems like uh like surely you'd go with the default veteran thing. But um right. yeah, now, you know, like Burns it, or or Sydney, yeah. yeah. Maybe right. it's a feint. Now it's really annoying though that because I just I, I mean in my head I just had all right, if it's not Sydney and Trey, let it be Sydney and Artie. Um, but it doesn't even sound like Artie's been playing right corner, which he did in Chicago. 
And he spent a bit of time there very early in camp, but then we only saw him at left corner in the preseason, very limited preseason action that he got. And to for him to do that in game three suggested that he'd been working at left corner, yeah. you know, for that recent time frame. And like I find I think we all find Mike Jackson like inspiring and kind of are rooting for him and think he can be have a higher floor than some might think. You know, Tariq Woolen is exciting in general, but then it's also exciting in bad ways too because he's just so green and all the things we've talked about in previous episodes. So that will be that that will that will definitely be interesting. Um, and if if it's not if it's not the veterans out there for health or maybe they didn't win the battle, um, the, the training camp and preseason battle that will definitely influence how they scheme as well. But so let's let's get into that so mm. in under center when the broncos are under center right it's it's either going to be outside zone or it's going to be play action um i think seattle will match with with bear whether it's base or nickel i think they'll definitely match with bear um and well i suspect nickel actually so that it's easier for them to play half quarter quarter um I don't know if they want to play pure form quarters because even though you're under center, if they catch you in quarters, you can still call a seven step drop with rust, no play action and try to hit that fade or go ball. Right. Um, and the reason why that's important for quarters is because you're getting a true one-on-one situation on the outside. You don't really have safety help. You can, depending on the formation and what rules you give your safeties. But I mean, quarters can be playing with fire in terms of the sideline, especially with a guy like Russ, because if we remember, um, like, and we'll also get into this, in Russ's matchups with the Rams, uh, he he's, he hasn't connected deep a lot, but he's been inches away from a few completions on the backside of half quarter quarter where they do anything to kind of get that weak safety out of the picture with a crossing route from the opposite side if it's trips or something like that. Yeah. And then it's just one-on-one DK down the sideline. The issue is that they have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, and it's just been hard to connect there. But so that's kind of the, that's the built-in answer for the Broncos is to catch them in three by one or they're in three by one and they catch them in pure form quarters. It could always be on the outside, but if they don't stay play quarters to that situation, it will be when they're in gun um, and they are in half quarter quarter trying to get that same element with Cortland Sutton um, on the, on the weak side opposite of, trips so seattle will have to game plan what they do there do they have the mic try to close off the middle of the field and have that weak safety double double cover the weak well one and receiver. the other thing here is i i am interested in how judy and hamler are pressing vertical because what seattle will do is or may do is call the cover two side as they have the tool to do to uh, Cortland Sutton every side. time, yeah. like the Rams did to DK Metcalf, where the cloud is always to DK Metcalf. So the yeah. double is always there that I think, I think we could see that. And the other thing to me is this is the defense has moved into a, a well, continued moving in a direction that is advantageous for beating Russell Wilson. Like if you go back and watch, the Chicago Bears game last year and how Russ struggled against their quarter-quarter half, half-quarter-quarter coverages, particularly the half-quarter-quarter stuff, that is kind of the template for what Seattle, and obviously with Sean Desai in the building, is hoping to achieve this time around. Now, Russell will be aware of his weakness against that, but if you just deny him the one-on-one to his favorite target, as the Bears did, removing it uh, to DK Metcalf by playing the 
uh, half and a cover two cornerback to that side. And then you achieve a decent quarters layering to the to the next read on the other side. You sort of remove the two outer receivers from the picture. Then really good things can happen because of what, you know, Russ is being so close to the outside of the numbers, being so close to the sideline. Now, I, I that's where I think, you know, the empty kind of quick game elements come in and what more variants they have. But then, as we've already spoke about on this podcast, covered to many lengths, there's only so much of that you can do with Russ. There's only so much stick you can run. So, I don't know. It'll be it'll be an interesting one to play out. And, uh, yeah, the coverage dilemma you mentioned, Griff, about the backside quarter, like, I'm pretty sure Jerry Judy can run a comeback against quarters. Uh, but it'll be interesting. And they the, these... these the Broncos haven't played any preseason football. They're the starters. So how much rust there is, how much sort of figuring out there has to be between Hackett and Russ of like, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Um, their working relationship. There's a lot of factors at play. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But the um, one thing with the bear thing is figuring out like if you're going to have base personnel on the field, how do you then adapt to if they're, you know, coming out in under center shifting out into right. empty uh, and then not getting caught in a bad matchup, that, which is why the big nickel package of having a bare front, but be able to bump that out into something which looks all right against say it's like 11 personnel using the talents of Conjay Diggs uh, as like a slot slash safety. And then using the talents of Jamal Adams as like a tight end up matcher can be blitzed from the slot, but also can play in the box using those sorts of deals to, to play matchups, basically, and, and be able to uh, stay sound for both kind of deals, under center and gun. Uh, that, I think, is going to be a big deal. All right, do Indeed. you guys want to open it up to a couple questions? Yeah, let's go, Ty. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. <clears throat> um, Camden wants to know, who would you rather uh, shooting a gap? Brooks or Adams? Oh, um, depends what gap. In the in the situation, I don't I don't know if Camden was saying a gap or the a gap. I yeah, I wondered gap. that too. I think just um, any. Who would you rather have? Any? You know, is it pass or run? Right? <laughs> is this? Because mm-hmm. I mean, because Jordan Brooks was really good as as like the wolf blitzer last year, Maddie, which you can talk about oh. on the, on the man side of the protection, they would get three over two week and he'd knife that really fast. Um, Jamal Adams and- though, looked really good as the backside fitter on outside zone when he was away from it and getting all the way through, he made a bunch of plays in the backfield doing that. I think the Colts and the Vikings game had examples there. So Brooks is so no. good at um, being able to run downhill very thick and then somehow uh, sort of contort his body to avoid contact while staying incredibly thick. Impressive. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, John Can Kerry. you guys hear my dog's cameo at yes. the moment? Let's go. Yes. Yeah, let's go. Got a Brady cameo. Oh, we haven't mentioned the volcano. What the hell, Griff? That's not- oh, nothing, oh, yeah. to worry about. nothing yeah. to see here. Move along. Move along. I don't, I don't know if I trust you. I don't know you didn't want to report it because it was just sensationalist. Is that correct? Mm. Yeah, I don't. It's like Leslie Nielsen in what is that? An airplane where he's like, mm. nothing to see here. Move along. Yeah. There's gotcha. an explosion going on behind him. But in this case, it's true. 
Mm. It's not state media trying to propagandize you. Okay, Leslie. Remember, I'm a a grassroots third-party private sector watchman, watchdog over the mountains. So if anything happens and I happen to be up there, when it happens, I'll tweet about it. Good. All right. Doing the Lord's work. Um, shout out to Colby for uh, throwing in the Thidane Gonzalez in here. That's uh, apparently uh, the nickname I've been given by our listeners yeah. over at CTZ and uh, oh. Locked On. Okay, Thigh. Yeah, yeah Thigh. Yeah, well, little juicy, juicy legs. All right, John, uh, John Kerry. Uh, if Russ puts up huge numbers, is it because the D fails to execute, or Russ starts throwing over the middle? <laughs> I I think it's because if Russ puts up big numbers, it's two main things. They just find their matchups on the perimeter, and they just get lucky and hit them. Not lucky, but like they 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 take advantage. They capitalize. Um, and they're smart and looking for them. And then secondly, I think Russ probably makes some plays out of structure. That doesn't mean out of the pocket necessarily, but just, you know, variance plays, something breaks down. And yeah, I think Seattle might have a bust or two in them. That's totally possible, right? Yeah. First well, time especially if they're Adams starting out there. Especially if they're starting Woolen and Jackson and, you know, Jackson only has four career starts. This will be Woolen's first career start. Like, right. well, there could every be time, some every stuff time we that hear happens. as well about the importance of playing together and chemistry. And yeah, every, mm-hmm. you know, with, with preseason being uh, injury risky, people still don't <clears> play. And so you inevitably still get the, the issues from a lack of playing time together in real time. But uh, yeah, I, and extrapolating that question towards the season because it uh could have been talking that did i just knock my mic out no no i hear you perfect no no you're little good. i need to get a new mic cable professional uh but extrapolating that question towards the season i think that again i, I mean i view it in really sort of adding to what griffin said because obviously I agree with that but i view it in simplistic terms of how if you're running the ball well enough teams will eventually have to be more plus one in the box and so they will leave more obvious and more uh, accessible one-on-ones on the outside. And so as much as there's the talk of, you know, letting Russ cook and passing the football, the way defensive coordinators work is, and and even even like the, the Staley's of the world, right, who like box theory and all of that stuff and the trendy things, but eventually if you're getting the run, ball run down your throat, you will play middle field close structure. And so if the Broncos have a good run game and, you know, Javante Williams is heavily hyped up and, I, and you know, Griffin's talked about the offensive lineman talking about outside zone and all this run action stuff. But if, if they have that, well, then, you know, that's when Russell can be highly productive. And by all accounts, this is a good offensive line. Like his, um, especially run blocking wise, Garrett Bowles, Dalton Riesner, Lord Cushenberry, Quinn Miners, Billy Turner. Like, that's a solid interior uh, blocking trio. Uh, I, I heard that she did the Seahawks wanted Quinn Miners in the Russell Wilson package. And, uh, yeah, pass pro-wise, Bowles, I think, that's an interesting matchup versus Daryl Taylor. I, I'm not sh- still not sure on Bowles, even though I believe it all sort of came together for him last year. But... Um, yeah, so the, should be able to do some stuff up front. I think the 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 matchups up front are really interesting because, I mean, it's their PFF grades are much different. But when I look at 
the Broncos offensive line. And when I watched them, when I watched Locke, I thought this O-line is fine. Nothing better, nothing worse. And I was like, I got Seahawks vibes from them. Like, like the Seahawks offensive line, for the most part, when it's healthy, is fine. Has some good stretches, has some bad stretches. But all in all, it's fine. I mean, Bowles is kind of has weird technique, but he's talented and it just makes it work. Risner is, I think, really good, really solid guard. Christian Berry had, he improved last year, but he doesn't really impress me that much. But if I was a Broncos fan, I'd probably be saying, well, he made a leap last year. Will he make another one, right? So who knows what he is this year? I, I, right, exactly, as we all do. But I still, I mean, I feel like it's fair to say in the one-on-one blocking setting, Woods would still wins that matchup. Um, their right guard, I'm blanking on his name. He replaced, I think, Glasgow last year. Um, well, I think Miners will play there. Oh, right, Miners. Yeah, yeah, Miners. Yeah, I, I didn't like Miners' college tape. I felt like he was kind of like a meme pick, small school, tryhard guy who is undersized. I don't well, know. Well, he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he had some good games and he had some bad games last year, but enough to like rally around. Like there's promise, but he's not a sure thing yet. Um, now the right tackle they signed Billy Turner mm-hmm. out of Green Bay. He's like he's been a guard and a, and a tackle, and I think he was a backup for Green Bay. And every time he got prolonged yeah. stretches as a starter, he's like, "Oh, he, this guy probably should be a starter." Always seems to happen with Green Bay. Yeah, yeah, they always have good development there so i mean it's kind of like a um it's like a 2020 shell signing there so mm. honestly and shell was really good in 2020 and then fell off in 2021 i think that was mostly injury driven mm-hmm. but but i mean like i see a solid offensive line i don't see anything monstrous though and i think daryl taylor can give billy turner some fits but i also think billy turner also has it in him to zero out taylor so i feel like it's just really even matchups Good early um, test, not too difficult, but it's it's a good early test, there. especially for the interior pass rushers because you're going up against, you know, an, an interior situation that I think is fine, not anything better than that. Um, so we'll kind of know what they have, what they're going to get out of Puna, um, Quentin Jefferson, and especially Shelby Harris. I don't really have any concerns about Shelby. I mean, that bull rush looks so live. Uh, looks so real in the preseason. Looked as good as it did when I watched him in the regular season last year. This guy had a really high pressure rate. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm just excited to see what goes there. Now, blocking the Broncos had issues block, blocking in preseason. That's preseason. Not all the ones are out there. And when they were, it wasn't for prolonged periods of time. So, I don't know. But that's definitely where, like, outside zone, under center running, every team has to do it. And you don't have to be efficient running there in order to play action well. Like we know that, but given that you have to do it and you can incur negative runs there, that means any positive run is gravy. So you can't let any explosive runs happen. Um, You know, it's, it's their goal. Like you hear them in press conferences, they're all trying, like, you gotta, you gotta get explosive, you know, with your, with your running, you gotta set the tone. Like they all talk about the way people say you shouldn't view the the run game, but, they're going to do it anyway, right? So it's just when they do do it, don't let them pop one. You know, keep keep those median gains around two, three yards. Get some tackles for losses, right? Um, we're going to see them try to fit the run that way out of too high again. Well, they did that last year and they were fine, so I don't know why I'm saying that. Um, but yeah, Maddie, like you said earlier, uh, when they're in gun, 
Uh, Russ's adjusted net yards over average, which is just kind of like a better, mm-hmm. a, a more comprehensive yards per attempt mm-hmm. measure, really includes sacks and stuff. In the gun on early downs, maybe it isn't early downs. I need to double check this, but he's only had one top 10 season against too high when in the gun because and i and i specify gun because that's when they're in a dropback scenario yeah um you think in late you'd almost think it would be higher right but well so yeah so only one top 10 season the last six years against too high all two i covered is combined winning gun using adjusted net yards over average or per attempt sorry per attempt not average um but then it gets one high like four of the last six seasons are in our top 10. Mm-hmm. So the reason why Pete Carroll gun runs is actually for a lot of reasons. But if you put enough runs on tape when you're in gun, even if like your gun pass rate is like 75, 80%, if you spend that much time in gun, there's still hundreds of snaps that are gun inside zone. So they're still going to the, um, the defense is still going to put out balanced personnel and early downs um, to try to match that. So, and you do that enough, they might just feel more comfortable, you know, playing more one higher spinning later or something. So, well, also, I th- feel like trying to dare Russ because Russ has such a penchant, penchant, penchance, penchant for throwing the alert when you get single high. If you can try and trick him into throwing the alert and defaulting to the alert and not reading out the concept, and then you do spin into too high, then I think that's a that would be a nice approach. But, uh, yeah, yeah. also, it should be noted. The, Russ's Russ's main gun dropback is quick game because the quick game plays off the fade, and then they use because you don't have a like substantive five stop five step drop same drop yeah to 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 provide the constraint for the quick game which provides the constraint for the fade ball you gun inside zone so that you have some constraint for quick game so that when you're influencing personnel like packages but then also the linebackers are changing their average alignment depth and width and stuff so that you can keep your quick game alive so that you can keep your fade alive so you can keep quick game alive so you can keep inside zone alive to the point where seattle's lead back the past four years has been more efficient with the average um gun inside zone run than russ has been in quick game now there's some larger commentary there at, at large because like when teams ex- increase their pass rate year to year, that's the bucket that they're tapping into the most. It's really non-efficient passes. And then like only like 15 quarterbacks are actually generating above average or a positive EPA in quick game. So yeah, you're only really replacing inefficient runs with inefficient passes for the most part. In Seattle's case, Chris Carson is actually outproducing Russ in quick game. Um, and if you compare the right runs to the right passes, but Russ is still average there, in my opinion. So uh, we'll see what happens there. The the other big thing to look for is does Hackett have a more comprehensive dropback game? I don't think so, but we'll see. Yeah, there's only so much we think you can do with Russ in terms of the dropback game and how wide reaching that can be because of the limitations uh, to his approach. Uh, the other thing I'm interested in is who's going to be the uh, sort of safety is Ryan Neal going to come back or is Josh Jones because he played great is he going to be the third safety and um, we believe they'll be using third three safety looks a lot more often um defense we have a bit a quick time to look at 
the uh, Broncos defense. And this wasn't a very good run defending unit last year. They've added uh, Draymond Jones from the, sorry, DJ Jones DJ from the Jones. 49ers. And he had a, quite a few tackles for loss last year. I don't know how, I, I, like Seattle is going to try and run on this front. I'm not sure how well that will go. And then the back seven, they're running a very similar kind of, yeah. it's so funny how they, they fired um they Fangio. fired Fangio and then they just pick a Fangio disciple. But that is the way the league's going in Ejiro uh, uh, Evero. And um, back seven-wise, I feel like they'll use Satan a bit like how Ramsey was used. If there was going to be a difference where maybe it's more middle field open, less middle field closed, like they tried last year. Um for accenting the pass rush, but more middle field open stuff again. And then Sertan perhaps shadowing Metcalf across the field because he is kind of that guy or being the lock guy on the backside of coverages to allow you to play uh, front side halves. Um, and then Ronald Darby, that's questionable. But then like, how good you have to be if you're you know playing a cloud? Um, but it's a very talented looking secondary, I'd say, overall, Justin Simmons. Um, yeah. Kayvon Williams is nice as well, actually, from San Francisco. It, the, the macro game plan is interesting to me because I feel like I wouldn't be shocked if Seattle opens with their gun package and stays in it for a while and see if they can actually move the ball. And like any team would try to do this, don't get me wrong, but try to get an early lead so that they can get the game state, like as opposed to playing like short in the game, play small. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're going to try to play big, play fast, so that the Broncos feel pressed to come out and gun and stay in gun and keep them away from their play action concepts um, <laughs> and get them out of what Packet probably wants to establish, right? That's deep level thinking. So, Do you think coaches coach like that? possibly they, they 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 i think they definitely think macro and micro right but so if right. but within so seattle though i feel like when they are an under center they will run at such a um such a high rate when an under center because they're play, playing a team that will play like we know like seattle does quarters and and half quarter quarter they want to force quarters purely quarters across the board so that their underneath defenders aren't matching like matching in the seams and stuff so that they can get more middle of the field play action concepts like you know drift or strike right um they can get they can get lock at running um outbreaking stuff uh, where he gets one-on-one -on -one outbreaking stuff so i feel like they'll do that just to influence the shell so that they can run the specific play action concepts they want to run against this defense they don't want them in half quarter quarter and if because then that's harder to defend like half quarter quarter is great for defending a lot of play action concepts right yeah um, especially pocket play action well it's gonna defend a lot of things but if if they teams like to play half quarter quarter in nickel so what this is just about influencing personnel so that they can run the specific concepts that they think they can have an advantage with um when in gun though 12 personnel the heck out of them and yeah, then exactly. hopefully hopefully we get Gino and hitting enough of the middle field open digs, the nice little Lockett beaters. Cook, yeah. Um, I think Lockett can win them this game, but I don't know if that will happen. I, I don't. Well, if you're outside, matched, because if you're matched with base, you can get him on a linebacker as well. If if you work it right, right. 
Um, and if Zertan's paying attention to DK Metcalf, which I, I think might happen. Yeah. I mean, um, Zertan's I kind go. of in, he's kind of in that um, as good as he wants to be category, but then DK is a whole different uh, level of uh, height and weight. Right. Now, when they do go in the gun, they know Seattle isn't going to gun run if they've done their homework. So they will be matching with nickel nickel zone, especially like on base downs. I think that'll be their base call. Like, yeah, it'll be like three deep, three under fire zone of Williams, like he just did in San Francisco for ages. And then, yeah. So when that happens, I don't know if Seattle will have a lot of luck with like, I don't know if we'll see dagger this week, right? At least drop back, get dagger. Because the fire zone kills it. The fire zone and in the vertical hook play in half quarter quarter. So, I think we'll see. Well, I think what we will see though is like a lot of arches or F posts because the mm-hmm. the space that half quarter quarter can give at the first level. Get Another those guys going. Interesting seems, thing that uh, your friend Brock Heward mentioned was that he expects Seattle to run more RPOs and that Mike Pereira has said that the league is loosening the officiating of downfield blocking and that they're going to widen that window, which is absolutely disgusting, by the yeah, way. That's, that's like the, the, that's literally what makes college football unwatchable. You can't, you can't play defense. It's not fair. Um, <laughs> they're trying to keep Tua Tiagavola employed is what they're trying to do. <laughs> the ah. league is putting all their chips in that basket. Interesting. And maybe it's Mike McDaniel's world. We're just living in it. Yeah. But that is one element that we haven't seen in the preseason. Well, I've seen tiny bits of it in the preseason from Gino, but that as an additional layer, as like a, an easy extension of the run game. And really, that would activate the gun runs. That's kind of replacing the gun yeah. runs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it will, yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. What do we think predictions wise? The three of yeah, us. Yes. So so we were asked. We were asked actually. Here, let me I, I think Seattle covers. It. I don't the the spread is six point six and a half points. Broncos yeah. win. <clears throat> Seahawks twenty three, Broncos twenty. All right. I like that you're that you're um <laughs> See, now I, I totally am convinced the Broncos will have Russ will be fine this year. Broncos will have a better mm-hmm. season, but I do think this Russ won't have a great game. And I think yeah. that um, it will be a one score game. But I don't, how do you predict this? Um, I, I feel like this is going to be one of those south end zone last second, <laughs> like just, at, you know, because like, you know, we, we, we suddenly or we think that, you know, suddenly now that Russ is gone, like the Seahawks are just going to stop playing in weird games. No, 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 no. Yeah. Also, Russ is in this game, so it's going to be. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. It's going to be it's, weird. And it's on Monday night and they're wearing those action green. Look, uniforms. look, both Pete and Hackett are weirdos, too. Yeah. So, oh, completely weird. Yeah, the, the whole game's gonna have weird energy to it, nationally televised. I'm mm-hmm. gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go Broncos. Come on, I'm you gonna, know you want to. You know you want to. <laughs> I'm gonna go Broncos 19, Seattle's 16. Wow. Yeah, 19. Right. See that if the defense holds them to 19 and Seattle only gets 16, I'm I'm slightly disappointed there. Yeah, me too. What's the right, over under total? Mm-hmm. I imagine it's quite high because I think the perception. Everyone, everyone thinks the Broncos are scoring a lot of points, which yeah, it's just the matchups aren't there, man. 
It is well, 50 and a half. Two rookie cornerbacks, potentially, or but two see, inexperienced cornerbacks. That's see, not. See, in a quarter's world, on. in a too high world, the I cornerback know. has been devalued. The safety's important. It's all about the safeties. But I, okay, first of all, that cracks me up because we talk about cornerbacks as a premium position. But at the same time, what is also dominating the discourse is how you got a too high numbers in the box, numbers in the passing game. Do we not see how those two things are in conflict? Yeah. If corners are premium, then you should, and you have two corners and they're good, you should be playing cover one. You shouldn't be playing too high. Uh, no. Okay. All right. Seahawk, Seahawks 28. Broncos 14. Could you imagine? <laughs> could you imagine though for a oh, second? Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> and the Broncos, that's like a weird thing. That's not two touchdowns. That's like something weird happens. Yeah. I just <clears throat> I think there's gonna be some growing pains. Obviously, there's gonna be a lot of growing pains for the for the Seahawks, especially with like the young guys that they're starting, potentially <laughs> starting. Um but there's also going to be growing pains for Russ, and like, you know, Ru Russ needs time. We know that Russ needs time. Russ needs time to get well, comfortable. And Hackett then, needs time. He hasn't but been. Then a, he also you know. Russ, like we saw what he did in that 2020s first half stretch when he came in and just started slinging the heck out of the ball. Um, with mm. defense is not sort of getting used to it, and defense is rusty from the COVID uh, impacted off season, but um. Yeah, we have to remember I, I, though, I, Seattle I, has I, more continuity on defense than people are. The, the DC is an in house promotion. Mm -hmm. Like, come on, there's more continuity than there isn't on defense. They're returning nine of, like, if you include nickel, like nine of 12 starters, or nine of their 12 starters were on the team last year. Mm -hmm. All right, let's take it one step further, real quick, before we hop off, and we're way over time. But Let's get some like actual like because uh, I think uh, we were actually asked to do like some highlight predictions as well. So going off of our score predictions, how do we get there? How do we get to those scores? I'm saying strip sack for Shelby Harris. That would be great. I'm feeling that. I'm feeling I'm feeling the Shelby Harris revenge game. I think my 14, I said that was weird from the Broncos. I think <laughs> It is like a two-point conversion, so for eight. And then they struggle throughout, and they start kicking field goals, and they get the ball ran down their throat. They get shut out in the second half. Yeah, I'm going to go Draymond Jones. It's second and seven. Oh, second and yeah. seven. Draymond Jones gets a good get-off and a clean, a clean forklift uh forklift into a rip and gets the corner at Gabe Jackson and mm. clean to the backfield. Everyone else is blocking well. So Draymond Jones, like his brush stands out on the broadcast a lot. Gino tucks and runs <gasps> and it goes for like a 30 yard scramble. No, on a on his own or on his own, like he realizes the play's dead instantly. Gabe Jackson gets whooped and Gino takes off and gets a 30 yard gain. And then the next play throws a little seven yard out to Tyler Lockett for a touchdown. Wow. Mm. All right. Geno Smith puts up more rushing yardage than Russell Wilson in this game. 
I can also, see my other prediction, Seattle will <laughs> they're early down neutral state pass rate. Win, win probabilities for those who track five percent will be 54.25 percent mm. i like it all right okay well, well there you go clearly the seahawks are going to win on monday night because we said it so and uh therefore well two-thirds we'll of us too. well two-thirds of us which is a majority so yeah I've you know, and, and, and clearly you know we're believers griff is not uh yeah Griff is now, I'm Mr. Cope, right? You know, yeah. Well, clearly is not. Clearly we thought, we yeah, thought we you thought, were the volcano but, guy, but, but you just, you know yeah, you, you're exposing yourself as a fraud look, all day long. Look, I win if, because I never said Russ was bad. I never said that. I was on record for saying I want Russ to stay a Seahawk, but I win if the offense looks exactly the same because that, that, that vindicates Pete Carroll. Um, what's that word I'm looking for? When you're looking back, oh my God, my brain isn't working. It would vindicate Pete Carroll because I meant the whole Pete Carroll premise was not bad. Okay. Whatever. Well, whatever. We'll be back. Friars are so dumb. We're just trying to watch football. Go we'll be back off. live very late on Monday night where hopefully the Seahawks have played well. That, that's what we can all hope for. And until then, please like this video and retweet it on Twitter. Follow the podcast at Seattle Overload. Follow everyone involved with the show, which is the three names up on your screen here. And also be prepared with our exciting Odyssey news, the RSS feed, which, as you may know, I have been messing around with accidentally. Uh, that will be moving to an Odyssey thing as soon as I know which the uh, what the RSS feed will be. I will post it, and you can go follow it. It won't change you like... Like I said, Odyssey, they know what they're doing. So uh, that's nice. Um, so it will just be a quick matter of re-subscribing, re-reviewing, and all that good stuff. But thank you again. Like I said, it wouldn't happen without you guys. We really appreciate your support. Some great questions tonight. Sorry we couldn't get to all of them as well. But we see you in the comments, and it's uh, lovely stuff. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, guys. And, uh, yeah, next show is going to be our first on Odyssey. Looking forward to it. That's right. All right. Let's fly. See you guys on Monday. <laughs> Let's fly. Of course.